strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Here we are. Varun, my friend, how are you in this tropical setting that you have currently behind yeah. you? I'm, I'm still trying to get over, um, I think, the, the experience that I had with my first ever cruise. So it's a hangover. And I would say after the vacation that you get, like you need another vacation after vacation because this was just too overwhelming. <laughs> um, so I'm in, still in that zone, you know, beautiful, beautiful beaches in Bahamas, my first time ever. I can't, you know, even stop talking about it. So you need to make me stop and get okay, back to I'm the gonna, podcast. I, I know, yeah, I want to, I feel like we could, and I feel like there's a lot of people in the Bahamas last week and I was stuck here and I know our guest today was also stuck here who happens to live in the Boston area. So let me introduce her so she can comment on it. So today's guest is a... Uh, what do you get when you cross a marketing genius with a passion-infused, kick-ass personality? The answer to that question might just be our next guest. She, along with her firm, have uncovered and told over a thousand stories that are hidden under corporate rubble. She's collaborated with some of the biggest industry distributor uh, disruptors ooh, and executive powerhouses. Her creativity, humor, and desire to push boundaries prevents her from feeling anything but young, fun, and adventurous. I am happy to welcome co-founder and creative director of Alise Marketing, Alicia Williams. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Wow, that was quite an intro. I'm going to bring you everywhere. It's like my hype woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. (laughs) Have you been on a cruise to the Bahamas? Should we start there? No, I actually have never been on a cruise. I don't either to it makes me really like anxious being in a place I can't get off of Um, oh interesting yeah it like makes me really anxious that and I and I would be like nervous that my kids would fall off (laughs) so I don't know that's and I oh and the other caveat like I hate boats I get super seasick so like I just I like to be on land Maybe you should stick with land destinations, yeah. like all inclusive resorts and things like that. So I don't well, know. I we, feel we, like... we should talk. We should talk, Alicia. I was in the same boat as you just before I went there. So I can talk all about it and allay all your fears. So <laughs> we we will we'll talk after the podcast. Okay. I I have also never been on a cruise, but that it sounds like this is a whole nother episode. So I'm gonna start off. Uh, our second question of the podcast then is our myth busting. What sort of bogus misconception, bogus strategy? What do you want to set the record straight on? What is irksome to you that you're like, let's clear the sucker up? Yeah, um, for sure. I think there's so many myths out there from a marketing perspective. One that um, I want to demyth and give everybody some like grace and breathing room is the fact that there's a million different Um, channels and platforms out there. A new one seems to be popping up every other week. Um, And companies do not need to be on every single one of those. In fact, if you are in every single one of those, you probably don't 
or you're not doing each one the justice that it needs in order to really gain traction and momentum. So the biggest myth is being everywhere and anywhere that um, social is, instead of just focusing on where your audience is and doing that platform really, really, really well. So not leaning into everything, everywhere, all at once. How's that for a yeah, movie quote tie-in? <laughs> I think exploring um, the new platforms just so you're kind of aware of, of what it is and who the audience is that's on it is beneficial, but not jumping ship and going right to that other platform um, without kind of really having a strategy behind it. It's uh I want to talk about a little bit around finding your niche, but it's interesting. You remember, you guys remember like a couple, was it a couple years ago uh, when the Twitter and the Instagram and the fate, like everybody went down at once. And I think all of, all of marketing jumped on the, like, this is why you need an email list. This is why you need an email list. So yeah. it feels like it's the same kind of hyper focus that you're talking about, whereas people need to pick the platforms that their audiences are lurking in how do you talk to us a little bit about how you you know because you guys have a pretty targeted niche um how did you find that what are some of their strategies behind kind of we've talked about that with agency world quite a bit in terms of technologies and things like that what what people specialize in how they got there but how did you how did you do it yeah um i it definitely wasn't a straight line <laughs> it was zigzag bumps and swirly whirlies uh in order to figure out who our audience was and also what we really liked doing and what we were good at and being in a position within our business to say, we're not good at this or this doesn't bring us joy, so we're not gonna do it. I think when you first start out as an agency, you do everything and anything because you're trying to hit payroll and grow and like make a name for yourself. Um, and then you get into that next stage where you can turn pieces away. And I think that's when we really uncovered what our niche was. Um, so for us, we really consider ourselves that CMO wing person. And what that essentially means is we work with other marketing executives that have a marketing budget. They may or may not have a strategy and they need outside support in order to bring that strategy to life. So they don't have an internal team to do it or they have one person. Um, that's our strong suit. And where we fell into this was realizing that the marketing executives we work with, our time was spent on building a strategy and an implementation rather than educating why they need to do marketing in the first place. They already know. I don't need to tell them the newest, coolest things in marketing. I just need to give my insight into maybe what their tech deck should be or um, how one industry is using this platform versus another. Um, so that's kind of how we fell into this niche and really refined our offerings to match it. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I mean, so this this also aligns with the way I think our brand together we launched when we started working with other agencies as their um, you know support and maintenance partner because that's exactly what we wanted to position ourselves where we don't need to teach them what. Uh, how they should be doing it. What they need is somebody who can just find the best practices to help them um, you know, execute and take the work off their shoulders. So all we had to do was position ourselves in a way which aligns with the pain points that they have. So that makes a lot of sense when you talk about it. But back to your myth, like 
you don't need to be in all the channels. So talk to us a little more. How do you identify which channels um, are the right fit? I mean, do you, I'm sure there must be some tools and, you know, process that you follow to find this is where my target audience hang out. And, you know, sure. I mean, you can take a guesstimate and you can assume a few things like that this persona may hang out, might be hanging out here, but I wonder if there are some practical tools and tips that you may have that can give us the answer more objectively to see where is my audience. Yeah, yeah, uh, great question. So a lot of it is tracking and being very comfortable with understanding what those numbers are. Um, so because we're a marketing agency, we're probably on more channels than others uh, because we have to have a pulse on what's happening, but our attention and focus is different on each one. So we have a Facebook channel, we have an Instagram, we have a LinkedIn, we have a Twitter, uh, we have a Pinterest, but we never really use it. We have a YouTube, but we, and we use it really heavily. So for us, we're trying to get in front of marketing executives. So where do they go to find out information? LinkedIn is a huge channel for us. It's um, helping with my own personal brand. It's helping with conversion and sharing our projects. Um, so LinkedIn is a, a massive treasure chest for, for me specifically to get in front of the right people. I mean, like, tell me what platform, honestly, you could reach out to the CEO of Pepsi and get a response. Like, he he's probably not managing their Instagram account. He's definitely not managing their newsletter. If I wanted to get a meeting with him, I'd have to go find his phone number and call him and go through like 50 people in order to get his voicemail. But LinkedIn like opened that door, allowed that that playing field to kind of have me outreach to specific people. So like I could geek out on LinkedIn all day. The other channels, understanding how we're using it, like YouTube and gaining that visibility and showcasing um, what we do has been powerful. But from a client perspective, it goes back down to like, who are their buyers? What's their buyer persona? Um, what's the age, the industry, the um, geographic location? Like, what do they care about? And that honestly helped guide or does guide where they should be hanging out from a platform standpoint. And the trust, I would say it's, it's you know, to chime in there too. Like you think about, we've, we've worked with a lot of like cybersecurity companies, for example, and they have, there's no trust of these, this particular audience on the internet in various places, except for Reddit and Reddit is a hard nut to crack. And so how do you get in there and how do you engage and how do you, but knowing that and knowing that you're not going to be able to crack that nut, you have to think creatively about how to tackle these in other ways. So I think it goes back to what you're saying, Alicia, is like, where's that audience? Where are they lurking? Where are they consuming? Where are they connecting? And the, like, what are your thoughts on, I'm totally taking a left turn and I'm, but I'm going to ask it anyways, in-person events, because I've heard recently, you know, it's been a few years, we've been doing this podcast for a while, agencies, you know, yes, no, some we go, some we go to the ones where they, where other people like us are at, but like, what's your thought on, on those? Do you feel like they're an up and up and coming? Isn't the right word. Reemergence of in-person events. Yeah. What are you um, seeing there? Yeah, it's a great question. So I've seen a ton of in-person events coming back um, from like the comfortability part of it. Like I'm not uncomfortable at all being at events anymore. Um, I think I'm a little bit more 
specific <laughs> about which ones uh, or intentional is the better word. I'm more intentional about which ones I go to. Not because, um, not because of crowds or anything like that. I am more intentional because I've learned that I personally don't need to be everywhere and anywhere, just like my brand doesn't have to be on every single social platform. And so, you know, several years ago, especially when I was building my company, I was at networking events three or four times a night, just hustling like crazy, meeting people. Um, and that was great. That, I, that's how I built my business. I could do that same thing and connect with eight people in a day, uh, just having normal quick Zoom calls. And they're a little bit more meaningful um, one-on-ones rather than like a big group. So I think in-person events absolutely has a place and they're great, especially for learning and development um, and getting in the room and showing a presence. Um, I'm just very intentional about which ones I go to and take, I think of it this way, what events are worth me not being home for my family to go to? Um, and that that's really what it comes down to. I went to San Diego last year to a women in government conference. That one I felt was really important for me to learn and immerse myself in a completely new space that we've never been a part of and learn as much as I could. Um, but other, other events like you know HubSpot, for example, or the SEO convention, it's probably not worth it for me essentially to go to it because I'm not the one that's actually handling the SEO, but the team member that does the SEO, that is beneficial for them to go. So again, being intentional about who on your team goes and um, what are they responsible for when they come back? You know, like every team member that went to a conference has to put together a presentation for the rest of the team to give us a crash course and what did they learn and how are they gonna apply that to us and to other clients? So it makes the investment not only in time and money, but their mind power um, worthwhile. Long answer, so yes, but be intentional about it. So what I'm hearing is you you approach the in-person events more like a learning opportunity and less of a sales channel. Because I don't hear you saying that, that you go to the events where you will be networking and, you know, looking for more business opportunities. Yeah, um, I do it more for learning. And the networking from a sales perspective, I found, again, this is really dependent on the events, but my decision makers are not at those events. They send their marketing managers to the events to learn. Um, it's not the senior marketing director, unless it's a conference specific for marketing executives, <clears throat> the decision maker to get me that meeting most likely isn't there. Um, but I say that and like, I just went to a coffee shop yesterday and a gentleman overheard my conversation and he was an agency owner that sold his agency and like had an awesome conversation with him about how the hell did he do it? Like, so there's networking events and then there's just networking in general, building deeper connections. Yeah, I want to take you back to your previous response to the channels. You said you could you could geek out about LinkedIn all day long. So I want to do little digging into that and hear some of the best practices or or you know g give us a couple of pointers on what has worked most for you and why that has worked. I mean, LinkedIn has so many things. I mean, they have kept on adding all the bells and whistles and all the you know things that you need to build your marketing campaign. But I would like to hear from you, what has worked for you, what you love the most and 
you know, what, where, where have you received the most value? Yeah, um, absolutely. So the number one, um, I think this goes for any social platform or any marketing initiative is consistency. Um, I am very consistent on LinkedIn. I actually have a calendar right here on my desk um, that literally outlines like Monday reshare. Sorry, all these noises. Um, Monday reshare, Tuesday post a graphic, Wednesday post a video. So I, it reminds me that I need to always have my messages checked. I'm always sharing some type of content on my profile. Um, and then the other really big piece is the interaction. So you can have an amazing profile and I encourage you to like, look at your profile, make sure it is the right headshot. It's the right cover photo. Everything is filled out as much as possible, as much as up to date as possible. Join groups that resonate with your target audience, but the community engagement is where I've noticed the biggest switch. So I could post every day, but then I'll spend 20, 30 minutes a day and I'll just go through other people's, like my feed. And I'll like, I'll comment, I'll reshare. That has been uh, a game changer for me, uh, especially to kind of get in front of the right people. Do you pick any specific people that you want to that you want to like, comment, or reshare the posts off? Yeah, um, I'm very intentional about about it. So I, my connections, um, I'm very open in terms of like who I'm connecting with. I think. LinkedIn is one big networking event. And so I am very open to connect with anybody. Um, but my direct outreach for connections is my target audience. I wanna, I wanna connect with CMOs and marketing executives. I wanna connect with strategic partners. So those that we could actually rise the tide together um, and those that are industry leaders. So those are kind of the three pillars that I really go after. Um, and then in the feed, I'm connecting and liking, um, you know, like Forbes just released, I think it was like their top 50 CMOs. Um, so everyone was posting that they got the award at Goldmine, right? Like, awesome, congrats, that's fantastic. So it, it literally is a great way to get your name in front of that person and build more of a, more of a human connection. One last saying. question, one last question before we switch. How do you measure success on LinkedIn though? Like, you know, do you, is, is there anything that you track that helps you decide, yes, this is working? Three things. Um, we do have a LinkedIn group that's filled with marketing executives. I measure the growth of that group and the engagement. Um, the other is my connection growth, making sure that my connection numbers are increasing with the right people. And the third is we have a LinkedIn Navigator so I'm not sure if it's the stats are available in the free version, but um, on the paid version it is, but it'll actually show where you track, how your profile and engagement is tracked based off of others in your space. So I am tracking like, how is my, how is my profile growing? How is my posts engaging? Um, I'm learning too, based off of like a video that I post on a Tuesday does better than if I post it on a Monday. So I kind of like, learn that engagement too um and then reassess. until they change it on you <laughs> so i exactly like uh i think two weeks ago all my numbers dropped suddenly and then i looked at clients all their numbers dropped too and i was like okay there must have been an algorithm change but um for the most part the consistency is what wins 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn. It's everybody's best friend. Yeah. So I want to talk about your origin story because I, I, in our prep conversation, I love, I, you told it and I went, I didn't know any of that. That's awesome. So can you tell us how you got started? Yes. Um, <laughs> I'll give you like the cliff notes version of it. Um, so my background is marketing and PR. Um, I graduated in 2008, actually graduated a semester early. Um, so December of, yeah, heading into 2008. And the jobs that were out there were really kind of non-existent. This was the height of the recession. So I would be applying to jobs, um, going into the interviews. And I knew before I even went into the interview, I wasn't going to get it because the person leaving the interview was, you know, a senior marketing executive that had just gotten laid off and they were now applying for an entry-level position. So why would they hire me that had no experience when they could hire for the same cost someone that had 15, 20 years experience? I learned a lot in those interviews. I probably sent out 30 applications a day, went to 10 interviews a week. Um, and there was one uh, gentleman, I don't even know what the company was, and they were like, Alicia, you're perfect for this role. You just don't have experience. And so I just like snapped and I was like, you know what? I can't get experience if nobody hires me, can I? Like, what do you, I'm a new grad. What do you want me to do? So at that point, I knew I didn't get the job. And um, my parents had said, what do you really want to do? And I'm like, not that, like, this sucks. <laughs> like, this is just not fun. So I started going to networking events um, and trying to explore and meet people. And they would ask like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I write and market. Social media wasn't even really a thing yet. And so I started freelancing, writing, doing some minor graphics, writing blogs. Um, my favorite client was a shoe client and I would barter blogs for shoes. And like, I was oh. in heaven. Oh, it wasn't. In your twenties, it's amazing. Like, oh yeah. I was like, oh yeah, 50 shoes. Of course I'll write for you. I don't have to pay <laughs> for a house. Um, so I learned a lot through that process. And then skip ahead several years, I started landing larger clients um, and one that stuck out that was a pivotal change in the business was a recruiting agency and the owner, um, I look up to him so much because he is an unbelievable leader, but he had said to me, how can you market my company if you never built a strategy for my company? And that was a huge change of me realizing I actually should be building strategies and then implementing the strategies that I create. So that helped form where we are today. Um, and learning all of that and being a sponge. So we built the team to really have a collective of different specialists. They are hyper-focused on what they do and they do it really, really well. Um, where my strong suit comes in is that strategy and that implementation part and kind of making sure the wheel spins. And I wanna say four years into the business, I had employees and I had clients and my background is not managing. <laughs> Um, and so I convinced my brother, who is um, business process certified, he's the lean Six Sigma, you know, black belt, whatever else you want to name him, um, and convinced him to quit his really reliable job and jump onto the entrepreneur train, uh, which he did. And uh, we've kind of been together forging this path ever since. Um, and now where we are today, I'm, I'm so excited because we have 
an amazing collective of contractors that we have spent years vetting. Um, we have the, I think, one of the best talent that leaves their egos at the door. And we have some of the best clients that allow us to be us uh, and them themselves as well. So the journey was not smooth, but I learned a ton along the way to get us to where we are. It's, a, it's like a couple things in that I want to dig into. The first one is the strategy piece is so interesting because I think about uh, my own story with some of it. And, you know, 2008, I went back to grad school because I was working and they don't teach you strategy in school. And it was super like, and I didn't have the words to describe it, but it's like, okay, I can do the tactics, but like, how do you, and I think that's probably another myth that we could talk about at some point with agency owners is like plan your, you know, business strategy, which can change, but going into it and jumping two feet in, and I'm sure you could argue both sides. That's the, the fun of these conversations is people can do it both ways, but the business planning and the business strategy and how you approach some of that stuff is, is uh, an interesting, they teach it more now, I hope at some schools anyways. Um but I, I want to talk about your team members because this is something that comes up a lot with agency owners and trying to find trusted resources and specialists. And, you know, you also have a process and we've talked to a few agency owners. Everybody does this a little bit differently, but this is a great question. Um, and I see Varun nodding because he knows where I'm headed with it. How do you pick your people? How do you vet that they're good? How do you say like these people, like, how do you know? Because you're picking somebody off a shelf you don't know outside of a networking conversation or like a word of mouth scenario. What do you do? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I've met a ton of um, freelancers that were really good and a lot that were not really good. Um, so how our process stands now is we have a really strong strategic partnership program. So we will outreach to partners uh, that we think are a good fit for us and vice versa. A lot of people will pitch us that they're a good partner. We'll have a meeting, um, a lot of times several meetings just to understand like how easy is the conversation? How easy are we gonna jive our personalities um, before even a client personality comes into the mix? Like how do we jive? How do we kind of work together? Um, I love to see their work different examples. Um, transparency is huge. I want to know like, how do they bill? How do they charge? Like what happens if a client doesn't pay me? Are you going to come after me for that? Or you understand that I didn't make the money, so I can't pay you. Like, how does that work too? Like that kind of uncomfortable conversation. Um, but then taking it a step further, we actually hire the contractors that kind of go through this checklist that we feel like, all right, I think they're going to be perfect for our clients. We will actually hire them to do their work for Elise Day. And what I mean by that is if they're SEO, I'm going to hire them to do SEO for Elise Day for three months. And I'm going to see how do we work together? What are the numbers showing? How is uh, How easy it is it to collaborate? What's my experience as a customer before I ever put them in front of a client? So when I say I've spent years building this collective, it has taken years to like test it, try it, have them treat me like a customer before I introduce them to a client. And now I could safely say every single one of the contractors we pull in, I could have them run a meeting with a client without anyone from my team on it and not be nervous that they're going to um, undercut me or cut me out of the project or um, do anything that isn't part of our brand. There is such a strong trust that we've built before that client's even introduced. 
So it is a long process, but it is so worth it um, in order to make make the whole wheel happy. Yeah. How 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 do you how do you track their work? It's more tactical. Like I'm trying to understand what are the best practices that you're adopted. Um, because now that you are relying on a lot of freelancers to, you know, allow your team, like basically strengthen your your own delivery team that has the combination of contractors and your full time. Now, do you treat them as similar to your full time, or I mean, on paper they are still contractor, but do they follow the same culture and the processes that your in-house team? follow? Do they work 40 hours? Do they work more or less? Like, how do you, you know, how do you structure that? Yeah. Um, so they don't, they're not treated exactly like they're an internal team member because a lot of times they're their own business owners um, mm. or they're, I'll just use an ad agency, right? Like the reason why we don't have a full-time ads person in-house is because Number one, I need somebody that does this every day, all day, and that's all they do. So they're unbelievably good and versed in it. Um, so our processes that we have, sometimes we'll have contractors or freelancers plug into that. Like we'll give them access to a client's folders or the project board. Um, we have standing meetings to know like what's happening with this. This is what I need with the client. The other is we're very clear in the deliverables. So I know they're going to have this ad. They need this creative from us. They're going to run it. There's a very collaborative conversation that's happening. Um, we have standing meetings with all of our clients. So if a contractor needs to have FaceTime with a client that we can't answer it, we invite them on that call. Again, like transparency is huge. So our clients know our strong suit is strategy and implementing the creative part the other avenues like SEO and ads, those are specific contractors that we pull in for that client. So there's no like shady, this is Joe, you've never met him before, but he's also on our team. Like, no, this is Joe. He owns this ad agency and that's all he does. And that's the reason. So you're not white labeling other people's services in these cases. Yeah. So like it's one contract, one invoice to the client, but that communication is very transparent of saying like, this is our SEO specialist that's gonna be coming in. And we work with them for years. And so there, our clients trust us to build the team to make the strategy come to life. If the numbers are trending up, the goals are being hit, it doesn't matter if they're sitting in my house or I'm using you know, and, and that's how we're able to be very competitive on costs. I'm not employing 50 people full time. And has that has that always been the case that clients don't care about who is actually doing their work? Meaning, like I've we have had conversations where you know some agencies don't want to share that they are working with the contractors and some are very open about it. And it has pros and cons for both of it, but in your experience, you seem to be very open. So you don't, um, I mean, have you seen, I mean, it sounds like it has worked pretty well because clients have not questioned that um, or do you have not lost the client because of that reason? Yeah, um, I think the client, there's a trust between us and the client. So they trust us to know what needs to happen and to put the right people in the right seats to do the right job. 
So if I'm looking at metrics and I'm seeing numbers trending down, it's my responsibility to figure out what the problem is and get it trending back up and find a solution. It's not the client's responsibility for that. So I've actually had a positive impact of working with clients and them not having to orchestrate a team. They can say, okay, we could just hire you and, and you could figure out the ad person or um, we've had clients that do trade shows. I don't have, you know, we're not designing boots, but I have partners that are unbelievable at creating boots, right? And so saying, yes, I have, I have that person. I'm going to bring them in. We're going to have that facilitation of the conversation. We're going to be able to provide them all the content they need because we are so immersed in that brand that our client, who again, is the executive in that marketing seat, they don't have time to just reiterate who's the buyer persona. What's, where's your brand identity guide? What's your mission statement? Like all of those, we know, like that's, we're in that space with them. So if we can handle that and facilitate the right conversation and only pull them in on the meetings where I really, really need them. It saves them hours a week so that they could focus on the higher level business goals rather than designing a, a trade show booth. Um, so that's where I come say like clients, they want to know that their goals are being hit. The work is being done. We have their back. Who's sitting in those seats? It's irrelevant because they trust that we're building the team that's going to get them there. Can I ask you a very tactical question about that? And this is, you know, it's what are the tools that you're using to do it? Like, what are the actual software technologies? Like, this is a, another common conversation we've had with other agency owners. Like, what are you using? What, you know, whether it's PM systems or email or like Slack or whatever, what's your kind of your tech stack to support this? Um, Cause you're like the general, you're like the general contractor of marketing in some of these cases. Um, yeah. And like in some ways, but it's more of, I think of us as the architect. So mm. the architect is designing the house and making sure that the plans are like going to make, you know, your house isn't going to fall down. It's not just going to look pretty. It's not going to fall down. Yeah. Um, and the architect has their own team that they prefer to use to build that house. And they have a designer yep. come in to make sure that their vision, you know, translates. Yeah, they're speaking the same language. Right? So that's more of where I envision us rather than a GM um, or GC that just like pulls like Joe and mm. Sally and all over and hobbles together um, a team. It's, we have this vision and we're going to own it. And we're going to make sure that all the players are going to build this house in the right way so that it stands for years to come. That's more of how I vision it. So my cool. stack is we're a whole remote team. So it's kind of easy for us to like share with contractors because we use monday.com for our project management. Um, that's been huge. Um, we have a dev team that uses their own kind of ticketing system that we've integrated with. Um, we're on Google Workspace. Um, we use an agency analytics dashboard to aggregate everything. So yeah, that's kind of, <laughs> besides like the other social platforms and whatnot, we're using cloud-based sharing tools to be able to show things to contractors uh, or remote team members or clients. Monday is a funny one. It's a love or hate. It's been the big debate in the past few episodes. So really? oh, I love it. <laughs> that's a whole nother episode, my friend. 
I'm sure. <laughs> I've used so many different ones. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of what works. It's kind of what works for your company that um, fits. How, so, how do you see? How do you see your agency um, going into the future, going forward? How do you see it grow or, or not grow? Because some, some, some agency owners are very happy with the way, where they are, right? How do you see your, um, for yourself, for your company? Great question. Um, depends on the day. Uh, but, but where I, I really see the future of our team and our company going is being able to be selective on who we work with and working with brands that we're really passionate behind and we could stretch our wings um, in the creative and in the strategy and, and pulling that all together. Um, I don't see us having, you know, an office of 100 employees. Um, I see us working with large brands that have a story to tell and a mission work never stops over there <laughs> never. Um, so I, I see that for our vision for our for our future it's continuing to tell stories in a compelling way and using creative to do it and getting our feet wet in bigger initiatives that have power behind it like that's what drives me is kind of and we worked with the city of Boston and that campaign gave us so much life. It was just like such a fun campaign. It was really impacting the, the community. Um, so that's where I hope the future goes for us. That's what we're driving towards. When you say big initiatives, um, you, so you, you position yourself as a, a strategy and planning for marketing, like marketing strategy and planning for like corporates, how do you define your audience and what is the good initiative for you when it comes to growth? Like what type of projects, what type of work do you guys specialize in? I would say, ask me that. Way. Yeah, um, clients that we work really well with are going through some sort of transition. They're rebranding, they're going from startup to launch. They are um, having a, an internal change, whether it's hiring internal or external uh, support. So they're going through some sort of transition and that's where we fit really well in because we can help get in on the ground floor of the strategy of how do we, how do we transition this effectively? How do we incorporate the right story and the right messaging and brand behind it um, so that it resonates with your target audience? Um, so clients and brands that are going through a transition that have a marketing executive in-house already, um, that's who's a really good fit for us from a brand perspective. They, they know marketing is where they need to be. Um, they need help getting there. They need the resources to help them operate like they have 50 people behind them, but maybe they only have one or two marketing people in-house, right? So there is a marketing budget set aside. There's goals set aside that's where we fit in really well and could honestly just stretch our wings and run with it so we've covered quite a few topics today i have um one last question and you can answer it however you want what is exciting you about the future what are you looking forward to you know we talked about your agency we talked about how you got started you know 
outside of that, what's, what's next? What are you like pumped for outside of spring? Maybe your next vacation. (laughs) Um, What's exciting me about the future, I think is the ability to see these startups come to life at a lower entry point. And what I mean by that is even like a few years ago for a solopreneur to bring their idea, their passion into a business, they needed to uh, either have the money to hire someone to help them hire somebody to build a website, hire a writer, like all these costs start to add in. And what I'm seeing now is that like with all these AI and automation tools and kind of do-it-yourself platforms, it it really helps these solopreneurs that have this idea just get going, right? Like you don't, you don't need to have a huge website you could have a basic website get you started and it achieves the goals you could use the ai tools to help you in terms of getting content going and wordsmithing and whatnot um so that's what's exciting i think we're going to see a, a lot of newer businesses finally getting off the ground um because cost is not so much of a barrier I know this was the last question, but because you brought up AI, I cannot stop myself not asking you this. How is that changing your business? You are in that domain where AI is kind of changing the industry, especially in marketing. So do you look forward to it? Are you embracing it? Are you scared of it? How, what's your feelings about it and how you are approaching it? I am not scared of it. I am leaning fully into it. Um, I think there's always a time and place for AI and automation. Um, For us specifically, I just used it to help me write blog topics um, so I can kind of cut through my own noise in my head and get through my writer's block, my creative block. Um, I've used it to help me write chat flows um, and video scripts, huge, right? I think even though it it has all of these amazing capabilities, you're going to see people use it really well that know how to ask the right prompts. Um, But then writers aren't going anywhere. Like I still need a writer to take that blog from chat and wordsmith it and add my own personality and my own tone to it. And know what links I've already published to put into that blog and what download, like there still is a human component that needs to happen in order to make that content really good and personalized to you. But if we lean into it, we say like, okay, instead of me spending five hours writing a creative brief for a blog, I'm going to see what this thing puts out. And now my five hours can be put towards how do we put graphics behind this? And maybe this needs an infographic and we should put a lead capture on it. Like all of a sudden this one piece of content now has a whole campaign behind it because you gave the mind power, you had the mind power to do it. So I'm leaning into it. Awesome. <laughs> My God, this could be a whole episode because I feel like your AI content creation, this is where the search engines are going to need to make a shift. Cause they're gonna, it's like a whole thing. There's a whole thing right there. I, I have so many, I have so many questions around it too. Like, you know, what is original content? Mm-hmm. If I didn't actually write that blog, is it mine? Is it like, because it's I put the, the music industry has been dealing with that for the year. Right. You know, so 
There's so many, there's so many questions. I think it'll be fascinating to, I mean, I have young kids. I think it's gonna be fascinating to see how this translates into their life. Like, will they ever have to write a thesis or they, will they just have to know how to ask the right questions really, really well to get that report? It's like write my research paper, you know, back in the day when the internet was a new thing and we were all in elementary school and it was like, you know, download a paper that talks about the Great Wall of China or something like that, you know? I mean, it's no, it's, it's no different than like when, when we were doing research papers and we went to the library and like had all these books Mm -hmm. out, right. And we're taking this and, and putting it into bibliographies, baby. Yes. And then you had the internet come out and now instead of books, you're pulling it from the internet. And now we have this chat that's pulling it. So like, I don't know, like, the internet didn't replace books. It just gave it a different format. So. Yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting. We'll, <laughs> well, this is a great chat. So where people can find you is LinkedIn. Shocker. I know you're all surprised about that one. Both you yourself and your company, you are on the Instagram and all the socials and then alicedaymarketing.com. So thank you so much, Alicia. Um for joining us today. That's it, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, tell somebody about the podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.